literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. Yeah, we're with the Austin American Statesman and Austin 360. You know, chances are if, if you grew up in East Austin and are African American, it was commonplace to have a, a copy of The Villager land in your lap, right? And so uh, this is quite an interesting story of an East Austin newspaper started in 1973 that still exists today, which I think is remarkable. It's called The Villager and is owned and edited by Tommy Wyatt. He has been in that role for a long time. His family has been involved in it and both the business and the writing side of it. But it has been one of the things that has glued together East Austin's community as things have changed rapidly around them can't imagine what that's been like, especially in the last decade. The Villager was born out of Austin leaders were actually doing a concerted effort to try to identify Black-owned businesses and started a registry, which I think maybe was a spark for starting this uh, community newspaper. So, yeah, absolutely. In 1970, uh, Tommy Wyatt um, published a, a, something called the Black Registry, which was an annual directory of the city's African-American community. And soon after that, you know, the attorneys and bookkeepers and contractors who were in the registry wanted a place to advertise more frequently. Thus, the villager was born. It's It's interesting how people get to where they get. You know, he was he was born uh, outside of Houston, which in the Con, you know Conroe area, San Jacinto County, which now is just the burbs of Houston, but back then it would have been way out there, right? Right. Uh, moved to Lubbock, and again, so many things about doing this show just enlightened me about what life might have been like for a lot of African Americans. And he found this really interesting because growing up in Austin and Georgetown, it's like there were a lot of kids that were in FFA. It was right. just a normal thing in Texas towns, small towns, future farmers of America. But he was in new farmers of America. That's right. Because like so many other organizations in this country back then in the 1950s, that youth organization was segregated. So the, the new farmers of America was the black version of future farmers of America. And he really wanted to be a farmer. I mean, he, he turned down a scholarship to Prairie View A&M. Because, you know, why am I going to college? Because I'm going to be a farmer. <laughs> you know, I don't need college. But he did end up studying at Bishop College, uh, which is a historically African-American school in East Texas, Marshall, on a football scholarship. And then he went into the insurance business and then the newspaper business, which he's been in for 47 years, which is pretty darn amazing. That is remarkable. And still to this day. But what's also pretty interesting and I think great about the villagers is they, they make a very conservative effort to focus on the positive things. The good news. 
the good news. And I even went and pulled up the the newest edition just to look at it. And, and it featured a handful of youth doing great things mm-hmm. as, as an example. And I, I think that's remarkable because maybe outside media, historically, they're going to focus on crimes, right? Well, in the past, I mean, I hope we're beyond that, but the, the the American statesman, uh, to its shame, uh, for for many decades, the only time you read about anything in East Austin was when there was some hideous murder or a stick up or something, and that was a an impression that divided the community at large and did a disservice to uh, whites, Latinos, African Americans, but. It, to his credit, Tommy realized there was a, a market for good news. And so you have church news, you have school news, you have news about the bigger topics of the day. This particular issue that you're talking about has a lot about the the big freeze of uh, 2021. <laughs> right. I'm still saying 1900. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. If, yeah, just it, we, we'll touch on that for a second because we just lived a... If we were doing this podcast 50 years from now, we would be talking about That's right. this past week here in Austin with the freezing temps. It's just crazy. <laughs> no, it shut down the state for uh, really almost a week. And we both have our own stories to tell, but we were among the lucky ones. And you know, so the, the, the Villager also has sports news. There's a sports columnist. It's a, a wonderful community asset. And recently... I had written that story about him and the villager several years ago, but very recently, Tommy Wyatt contributed his photo archives to the Austin History Center, and I did a story on that. It was you know it was wonderful looking back at all these great photos of the community shot over the years, and there was an exhibit at the Austin History Center for several months of of the more iconic photos. Now, now this is just a, a funny thing. I was looking at the the current issue. It's a weekly paper. And there's this great image of a guy trying to get out of his car or trying to get out of his parking place. And he's in a, a, a hoodie and he's he's he looks concerned. He looks like, what's going on on the street? <laughs> and I said, that's a really great photo. And I looked down and the uh, credit is Jay Honor, who is an American statesman photographer a really great one i'm glad that all of our stuff is being shared now of course the whole country was looking at at texas and austin uh, during the big freeze and so it makes sense for the villager to really focus on the community that he serves and last i checked i think they had about six thousand circuit newspapers in circulation which is pretty darn good these days they have not suffered as much from the digital revolution, as Tommy White told me, people like to have it in their hands. Uh, as you opened the show, you always had one around. It was a true community service. I know they've shifted from smaller mom and pops, which I imagine are diminishing in East Austin, Black-owned businesses, fortunate to be sustainable with more state, regional, and national advertisers. As we talked about in a, in a previous episode about an East Austin church and that community having moved away, they may sell the land. 
I think this publication is even more critical to to cover the changing demographics of East Austin. Absolutely. And I think that I'm going to say the most serious problem of the changes in central East Austin is the disruption of communities and the loss of stories and the loss of a sense of place and a loss of a sense of shared history. And I think it's incredibly important for, for all of us to encourage people in whatever part of town, whatever part of the state, to really hold on to that community glue. And the villager is a big part of that for especially the, the black community that some of which, many of which have, have moved on to the suburbs or other parts of town and beginning in the 60s and 70s. Uh, when I interviewed Tommy Wyatt for this particular story we're talking about, he talked about the kind of the diaspora of the black community from East Austin beginning in the 60s with the fair housing uh, laws and wondering even back then what would keep the community together. And luckily, he and his family have been part of the answer, and that is you continue with the traditions and the legacies that you can hold on to. And that's what he's been doing. That article, if you'd like to dig into it yourself, uh, you can find an indelible Austin. That should be part of your uh, library on your bookshelf. That is volume two, chapter three, in fact, of indelible Austin. And you should collect all of them. And those are collections of my better history stories put out by Waterloo Press and but yes, you can give them at Book People or Sue Patrick or a lot of other places. If you're in Houston, you can give them at Blue Willow Books, which is owned by my sister. I don't think I'm pushing too much business her way with this. She was the one I was sheltering with in West Houston after I evacuated from the beach during the, the big storm. Her store had power. So we went there and played bridge in her bookstore. <laughs> I love it. It's in a children's bookstore, mind you. Well, it does have a, a lot of adult. I mean, <laughs> there, there, there's a nice selection of children's books, but there's also a lot of other books as well. Very. The context of the time in the since from the time that we started this podcast in March of 2020, it's been nothing but historical moment that we're seeing in real time. So, and, and I, I wrote a column uh, for Think Texas, which is our free weekly digital newsletter that's for the state. People are paying attention to history in a way that I haven't seen in a long time or ever. I mean, every time something comes up about the pandemic, people will refer to the Spanish flu or to previous epidemics. Every time we talk about Black Lives Matter, you know, people talk about major points in our racial history, like the Tulsa massacre. You know, so everything now has a sense of history about it, including the big freeze. Of February 21. <laughs> yeah, it's it's eye-opening. If you want to go back to the archives of this show, maybe this is the first episode you've listened to, you will have a much better, I have such a better understanding of, of Black Lives Matter and some of the tension in our community because of this show. It's incredibly valuable. So I, with everything going on historically this past year, I've been telling people, Go, li go listen to Michael <laughs> on some of these previous episodes. Well, and, and what I really wish would happen, and you know this because I say it on almost every episode, we want 
the memories of all the communities of Austin represented as guests on our show. Yeah. And, you know, I have a list of a hundred people I want on. I guess that would be two years worth of guests. And that's not really uh, going to happen soon. So, uh, yeah, uh, we want the stories told by the people who lived those stories. I'm lucky enough to have spent several decades collecting those stories, but they really belong to the people who live them. Sure. Appreciate you tuning in. It means a lot to us. Share these stories with your friends and family, post on social media, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Austin Found. Happy trails.